Welcome to Geared for Growth. I'm your host, Mike Mortlock from MCG Quantity Surveyors. And of course, welcome to this bonus podcast where we're looking at the property investing journey from start to finish. Today, we're talking about alternative property investing. So really the alternative to just slowly adding properties to your portfolio. We're looking at small developments. Today, I'm joined by industry guru and property investing expert, Drew Evans, who's built a fantastic portfolio, generating a lot of cash flow for him, enabling him to retire basically any time he wants with small developments. We talked to him about the pros and cons, all the risks, how you get involved, and why he thinks it's a better way to go than the traditional set and forget property investing journey. Here's Drew. Drew Evans, thanks for joining me back on Geared for Growth. Thanks for having me, Mike. Pleasure, mate. Uh, You were always on the list for this new series where we're talking about the property investing journey from start to finish because you've got a very interesting story yourself. But the reason why I wanted to get you specifically at this point is because we've sort of gone through the, you know, saving, um, buying a property with equity, and we're heading down this very traditional property investing path. Now, I wouldn't say what you do is is untraditional, but it doesn't follow the exact sort of step-by-step formula that your average property property investor does where they just purchase an investment property and then they save up or they pull equity and they go to the next one and just collect as many as they can. Um, so talk to us about some of the ways that we can uh, we can become successful property investors without following that traditional path. Yeah, thanks, Mike. And uh, I couldn't agree with you more. There, there are certainly a hundred different ways to make money in real estate. Um, I've just chosen a strategy that works very well for me, which uh, with respect goes against every typical type of retail type investing. So my, uh, my philosophy uh, is all about finding opportunities that are essentially under market value that you have the ability to add value to through doing small developments. So when it completes, it's worth a lot more than what you paid for it. Because at the end of the day, um, unless you're lucky enough to pay cash for a property, uh, you need to keep the banks happy. And at yeah. some point, the banks will say, hey, Drew, uh, we need, the, need you to increase your income or we need you to decrease your debt in order to keep borrowing money. Um, so for me, I always make sure that I begin with the end in mind and find opportunities that provide, uh, you know, that positive cash flow, that instant equity, uh, and allow me to keep building up my portfolio. So um, essentially for me, um, in, in summary, um, I want to make sure that, you know, my property portfolio looks after me uh, and I don't have to look for it. I think that's one of the biggest mistakes, uh, you know, first-time investors make is they tie themselves further and further to their job because their property portfolio costs them money to hold. Whereas mm. my, my portfolio pays me, I don't have to pay it. Well, I think your average property investor gets involved in the game because they're seeking some sort of freedom, right? Like I've heard people talk about money as freedom tickets. They're not terribly interested in all of the flashy stuff, but they are interested in being able to wake up and decide what they're going to do next month or even today, right? So that, that's a, an approach that I think all investors inherently want, but they do get lost um, when they're trying to grow their portfolio. So I'm interested when you sort of say you look for properties that have, you know, something that you can do, so, some sort of upside, is is it always necessarily development for you or do you look for properties that you could do the same thing with just a subdivision or um, a renovation? Has it always been development for you? Uh, for me personally, it has, but that doesn't mean that that's all you can do. Uh, you know, my little brother has a, a joke at me. He's a tradie and I am the complete opposite. I'd have no idea how to swing a hammer or carry out a renovation. Um, I just don't have the time, the skills, the experience uh, to carry out that type of work. So 
For me personally, I'm, I've always done um, you know, mid-scale developments, whether that's building a custom-built home um, or whether that's doing a duplex uh, with a mutual subdivision. But the whole concept is if you're going to spend time, effort and energy on a project, you want to make sure that it's worth a lot more when it finishes, uh, but also you have the ability to take profit off the table. Um, because like I mentioned before, uh, the concept of, of consistently being able to buy property um, you know, year in and year out just because the property goes up in value is one side of the equation. The other side of the equation is that you need to make sure that you can service any additional loans. Uh, we call it your borrowing capacity. And if your borrowing capacity is limited, there's really only two things to do from a high level perspective. It's increase your income, you know, which if you work for somebody else is sometimes easier said than done, um, or it's decrease your debt. And that's what I love about development is you do have that option to take profit off the table, use that profit to pay down debt, and then redeploy the capital to keep growing your portfolio. Mm. And when you talk about development, I guess the development word makes us kind of think about, I don't know, three townhouses or a block of units, but you described um, just building a house as a potential development, right? So it doesn't necessarily have to be big stuff? Yeah, of course. No, no, it definitely is only small stuff. Um, I guess anything that you're adding value to a site is what I consider to be development. Um, so, you know, a, a very recent project that we helped our clients with uh, here in Newcastle the total acquisition cost was 505000 Now, once we, we finished everything based on comparable sales, that same property now is selling for $650,000. Mm. So that's $150,000 created, which in my opinion is very much a small development. Yeah, yeah, of course. And I guess the, the smaller it is, potentially the lower the, the risk. So if you're still getting those great returns, then it can be a, a safe way to do it. When it comes to these sort of examples of, of people looking to to manufacture equity, you know, people talk about, um, you know, knockdown rebuilds or, or subdivision. What, what are some of the, the traditional ways that property experts talk about manufacturing equity outside of development? Um, I guess you can look at things like renovations, you can look at things like subdivisions, you can look at um, you know, adding extra rooms or adding value to any type of property. Um, essentially, anything you can increase density or add value to is inherently going to drive the value up. Is that what you mean by that question? Yeah, yeah. And, and I guess um, if people are not necessarily interested in doing the development stuff as, the, as their first investment property, that principle still applies in the sense that you could look, say, for a three-bedroom property that could easily be turned into a four-bedroom property, which is you know, much more in demand for that area. Is that the same sort of you know, growth mindset? Totally, totally, totally. I think my mindset is as soon as you can add value to something that generates a return as opposed to your typical buy, hope and pray, that's a strategy that I've used to build my portfolio that I highly encourage um, everyone to do, especially when you're first starting off because yeah. uh, I can think of nothing worse um, you know, than, than buying something and then hoping it and praying it goes up over time uh, because unfortunately, you know, when I first started off my career, that's exactly the biggest mistake that I made is buying and something. And I wanted to ask you about that. Sorry to um, cut you off there, Drew, but um, that particular story, I mean, you, you sort of said it's always been development um, for you, but I guess there is a, a, a dark chapter in the beginning of your investment um, property journey that I wanted to delve into because the stats are still saying your average person only purchases one property and that and you could have been one of those statistics with your first property, I assume. Yeah, totally, totally. And, and I'm not the expert or the guru by any means. I've definitely had the school of hard knocks over the past decade. And I guess that's the benefit of, of learning from someone uh, that's been where you want to go. Um, so for me, I used to work for a property investment company, actually, and their model was to buy blue chip real estate um, and, and then just wait. And because, of course, 
all property goes up over time, which you and I both know couldn't be any further from the truth. Uh, so I actually purchased an off-the-plan apartment in Brisbane uh, in 2015, uh, and I paid $535,000 for this apartment. Wow. Uh, to where we are today, and I'd be lucky to get my money back, you know, some six or seven years later. So uh, my aha moment was when I went actually went off on my own accord, uh, and I found a corner uh, block in Newcastle. I built two four-bedroom homes and carried out a mutual subdivision. That one project alone, you know, increased my equity position by over $300,000. And that's when I'm like, ah, I get it now. Not only did it generate a huge amount of equity, but it also provided positive cash flow um, as well. Wow. I mean, and 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 to preface that failed investment property, that, that was a blue chip property, which we've got this idea that blue chip property is always going to go up in value because it's well located, it's in demand, but obviously that's not always the case. The Give for Growth Property Investing Podcast is presented by our business, MCG Quantity Surveyors. If you're an investor or a property professional looking to get the best tax depreciation deductions for yourself or your clients, please get in touch with us at mcgqs.com.au. It's our mission to help as many property investors as we can to maximize their claims and maximize their property education as well. Yeah, but I don't want to come across like blue chip property is bad. It's not. I love blue chip property. And uh, and my definition is, you know, waterfront, beachfront, cityfront, areas that people want to live. Because traditionally speaking, those are the areas that will always continue to perform in the longer term. The challenge that I have, especially when you're first starting off, is the yield variation that they deliver. And, and what I mean by that is, you know, you could live in a multi-million dollar home in the water, but the rent that that property would achieve may only be $1,000, $1,200 a week. So... Mm. If you were to purchase that property as an investor, that property is essentially going to be negatively geared or it's going to cost you money to contribute each and every month. And for me, that's a big, big no-no. Remember, mm. I want my portfolio to pay for me. I don't want to have to pay for it. Mm. And, and that's, a, that's a great point about blue chip. I mean, that, that can be a great way to purchase property that's going to have great capital growth over time, but you've got to hold the bloody stuff. And many of these things have a less than 2% yield. So unless you have a high paying job or, or you love chipping in extra money for some masochistic reason, it's going to be a long, hard struggle. Yeah. But listen, Mike, you could do both. I mean, there's nothing saying that you can't do small developments where there's houses, duplexes. And in conjunction with that, you know, buy blue chip real estate, uh, yep. which is a strategy that I do as well. Uh, yeah, and I guess that the the profits can offset the losses on, on those, and then you've got some diversification. So that kind of makes sense. Um, I wanted to to ask you though, with that example that you gave of the property in in Newcastle, I mean that that was kind of a sleeping giant. It was a property that wasn't what value was like to call at its highest and best use. Why why is there not sort of much more demand for that sort of property if people can come in and do what you do? Like why wasn't it? You know, why weren't there a hundred people looking for that same opportunity that we're going to pay more than what what you could make it, um, you know, financial for? Yeah, essentially. So, I mean, what I do is is considered to be small development, and this is what we help our clients with because you know we can't kid ourselves. There is a level of risk that's involved in, in doing strategies such as this, and so essentially we identify opportunities and really minimise that risk from a development perspective, from a building perspective, and from a time perspective as well. So, you know. Human nature, people like things that are completed to take away all the headaches. Um, you know, so in that example, essentially, I think I paid 760, 767000 for two four-bedroom homes and the block of land. 
carried out the subdivision, you know, so that was a process in itself. Yep. And then on completion, you know, the properties now, uh, unfortunately I sold them to pay my house off, but the properties <laughs> now, uh, you know, would be worth the better part of $600,000, $700,000. So um, I guess when it comes to that, there are lots of people that want to do it, but a lot of people don't have the time, the skills, the experience, or the industry contacts to bring it all together. Mm. Uh, and that's myself and my team do. Yeah, awesome. And when you say, unfortunately, I sold them, you <laughs> you finish that by saying, to pay my house off. <laughs> that's a very powerful point. It wasn't, unfortunately, I sold them to buy an apartment in Brisbane. So yeah. it's actually, you know, that's part of your strategy, right? You you wanted to be able to pay off your property. Uh, listen, in hindsight, I should never have sold, uh, but hindsight's a good thing. Um, I always advise uh, my clients, especially, you should only ever sell for one of two reasons. Number one, um, your current portfolio is preventing you from doing something else. Yeah. Uh, number two, the opportunity cost of holding your portfolio outweighs uh, the opportunity cost of taking profit off the table. Right. Uh, and uh, in my personal case, um, you know, I, I bought my dream house on the water. Um, at the time, I had a substantial mortgage. And my goal, or let me say my wife's goal, uh, was to be debt-free. Um, and that project allowed me to be one of them uh, to, to pay my house off. Mm. And it might not necessarily have, in hindsight, been the best financial decision, but it it... it- it may have a psychological value that's more important than money, right? Because you can wake up and go, well, I own this, all bought and paid for, right? 100%. I mean, I've got Christine, um, you know, who we helped as well. You know, so she's a little bit older than me. Uh, she's getting up to uh, retirement age. Uh, but she said, Drew, listen, my number one goal for working with you is to pay off my debt. Now, she had a uh, $100,000 mortgage, which is, is pretty small in today's terms. Um, but we helped to do a duplex project. She paid 856000 um, she sold that project straight away on completion um, for $1.2 million and actually walked away with 344000 in gross equity. Now, wow. yes, you got to pay uh, capital gains tax. Yes, you've got to pay an agent. Yes, you've got to possibly pay a GST. Um, but fair to say in that 15 months that we helped her, she's completely debt-free. She's got change left over and she's already moved into another project with us. So God. everybody's circumstances are different, I guess. So I want to take this moment to try and, I guess, ruin what has been so far a great episode, and that's me trying to inject a metaphor <laughs> into every show. I came up with if, if simply buying property, you know, over and over and growing your portfolio during the using the traditional method is, is taking the stairs, then a development is a quick trip up in the lift, although lifts can break down and kill everyone on board. What I'm trying to get out there, and, and I apologize for everyone for that one, but um, there's risks involved with it, right? That's that's the lift killing everybody. It can be a, a great way to get to the top, but there's, you know, what sort of risks are there involved in these projects? Oh, totally. Mike, that's a, that's a very good metaphor, actually, because uh, the worst thing you can ever do is believe all the good news stories. There is a ton of risk involved with, with what we do. But if you learn how to protect the downside, for me, that's more important than creating a ton of upside. And so... Yeah. You know, you often hear of horror stories, right, of builders going bust. You hear of projects getting dragged on and on and on. You hear of, um, you know, floods, storms, council delays. So what we do is not an exact science, um, but it essentially over the last decade, we've figured out how to really minimise those downside risks. And my business philosophy and personal philosophy is plan for the worst and hope for the best, right? Don't fudge numbers just to make you feel comfortable. If anything, do it the other way around. Uh, excuse the French, if sh was to hit the fan, are we going to be okay? And that's yep. my principle for building any type of property portfolio. Plan for the worst and hope for the best. 
Yeah, awesome. Um, and I think, you know, with this sort of thing, and, and I think even in, with investing in general, you need a team behind you. You need experts, um, you know, if you want to avoid being in the statistics that, that show that your average investor isn't getting the success that they want. Um, let's talk about some top um, tips to take away from the episode. Um, Drew, you've done a little bit of homework for us. What, what, are, what are your top tips if you're wanting to go down this path? Awesome. Well, my top tips are based around talking to my younger self. Uh, I wish I knew now what uh, I could uh, <laughs> to go. And my number one tip is make sure that whatever you're investing in is going to help set you up, not set you back in your portfolio. And it's understanding if you're not lucky enough to pay cash for real estate, that you have to keep the banks happy. Understand if I buy this first investment, are the banks going to allow me to keep borrowing money or are they not? Because if you can't get the money, you can't build your portfolio. So my number one tip, is find opportunities that set you up and they don't set you back. Um, in terms of my second uh, second tip, um, it's really important when it comes to this particular strategy that you see things for what they are going to be in the future, not what they are like today in terms of your acquisition. And I'll give you an example. Mm. Uh, one of my most uh, profitable acquisitions, and I helped 10 clients do the same thing, um, was actually in a suburb called Ballina, uh, which is just south of, uh, of Byron Bay. Now, we got into this project early where the land acquisition cost was $360,000 for a duplex. Now, fast forward, um, you know, it's 14 months now, that same block of land is actually worth $600,000. So the land alone has gone up by $240,000. And the reason it has is because there's a ton of infrastructure that's get put into the area. There's a huge population that's moved to the area and there's very limited supply. Now, we knew that, um, you know, 14 months ago before we took on the acquisition. So my advice to my younger self is look at things for what they're going to be, not on what they are at the time of acquisition. That's really interesting because there's an inherent risk and potential massive upside with market movements, right? Because if you buy an investment property traditionally, you've got, what, a 60-day settlement or something like that. So, yeah, the property could go up or down. But when you're talking in development, what, it could be 12, 18 months, am I right? Uh, it can be. It's all dependent on the actual land registration date. Um, and I'm not sure if you want me to talk about how we implement a development pipeline now um, or if you want me to do that uh, on another episode. Uh, but essentially, it's using time as your friend. And that's my last tip. Um, you know, I am the worst person for being patient. Uh, I'm very impatient by nature because I want the results yesterday. <laughs> but uh, when you understand this perfect storm that we're in at the moment, in the fact that we've got record low interest rates, we've got a huge amount of stimulus getting pumped into the economy, um, I can't see that stopping anytime soon. And then on the supply side, we've had a lot of, um, let's call them issues, um, in the past 18 months, whether that's fires, whether it's floods, whether it's, uh, you know, what's happening with COVID, whether it's the supply channels, whether it's the bill price increases. So we have this perfect, perfect storm. And for me, it's learning about how to take control of real estate without necessarily having to pay for it straight away. So in my pipeline now, um, you know, I've got five projects that are on the go at the moment. And it doesn't mean that they're all under construction. I've got one that I'm building at the moment, two that I settle next month, another one that settles in December, and I've just secured another one that settles in June of next year. And once you understand how you can use time as your friend, the numbers get very, very attractive very quickly. Yeah, that's very interesting. And I think we need to actually get you back for another episode to talk about how you're uh, managing a development pipeline because that is, 
I think, an episode in itself. Um, speaking of which, if people are wanting to hear more, Drew, you yes. are actually first on the Give Growth Property Investing podcast as episode 58, where we talk about um, your background, where you grew up, why your accent is cooler than mine, all sorts of bits and pieces. So I recommend people go um, and check that out. And and also at the end of this, um, I'd love to hear from anyone to, to suggest a topic. So we're very early in on this process of, you know, the journey from start to finish. So if there's anything that you would like to hear discussed, uh, ping us a message through gearedforgrowth.com.au you or through the the Facebook page as well. Um, I want to just circle back um, with one last question with you, Drew, if I can. Um, we're talking really, I guess, to to beginner investors in a way because we're doing the whole process from start to finish. And there's this idea that you know doing development stuff is something that a seasoned investor should be involved in, but not a beginner. We should have four or five investment properties in our portfolio before we look at it. I, I believe you argued with that point. I'd love to, to hear your sort of rationale behind that. I did, Mike, yeah, and that couldn't be any further from the truth. Um, you know, Everyone says development is this big, scary word, but it's not. It's just a very, very simple strategy. Um, if you wanted to go out and do development on your own accord, you know, there are risks that you'll look at. But I guess the benefit of my business is you can leverage off myself, you can leverage off my team to take over a decade worth of experience and not make the same mistakes that we have. So my advice is, is uh, for all beginner investors out there is understand how can you speed up your results and how can you speed up your success. Development is one strategy that's worked very, very well for me. And I have no doubt it can work well for you as well. Awesome. I love it. It's been a it's a it's been a great deep dive into an alternative way than the traditional method of, of growing your portfolio and, and achieving success. So thank you very much for joining us, uh, Drew. It's been a real pleasure. Thanks, Mike. We'll talk to you soon. Cheers.